Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What kind of things make you happy? Think about that for a second. What kind of things make you happy? What are the most significant sources of joy for you in this life? There are probably lots of different things that we could name this evening. Maybe is it your, the sight of your spouse at the end of a long day? Or maybe it's spending some time with your children, your grandchildren. Some of you might find joy in the satisfaction of knowing that a job has been well done. Some may enjoy looking forward to spending some time escaping into a hobby. Perhaps it's just the joy of enjoying company with some good friends. But there are times when it can be hard to find joy in anything. Quite the opposite in some cases. You may even have a list of reasons to have sorrow, a list of things that you're suffering and going through. Sometimes in some seasons of life, it may be hard to find joy. Well, this third week in Advent is about joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, in the reading from John 16, Jesus is in the upper room on the night when he was betrayed. Jesus gave his disciples, and so he gives us a reason, a reason to have joy in the midst of great sorrow. First, Jesus points to their present sorrow, and then second, he predicts their future joy. First, we'll see Jesus pointing their present sorrow. Jesus looked deeply into the faces of his disciples that fateful night in the upper room, and he saw uncertainty, fear, doubt, sadness. What, was, what caused this fear and, and doubt and uncertainty? Jesus had told them, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. What's Jesus talking about? Jesus is referring to his death, when his disciples will have a deep and anguished experience of loss. In a little while, they will no longer see him. And then in a little while, Jesus will be lost in a painful, bloody crucifixion. There will be weeping and lamenting and fear among the disciples. The stone will be rolled in front of his tomb, and they would see him no more. The world would rejoice, and the disciples will weep. Jesus tells them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. Their sorrow comes from watching Jesus beaten, bruised, hanging lifeless on a cross. They see him disfigured, taken down from the tree. 
Their sorrow is watching their friend and Lord die. They weep and they lament. He says, you, so you will have sorrow now. His death is just around the corner and the loss will be great. Jesus shared those words with his disciples because he knew what was waiting for them. He knew their lives would continue to be filled with difficulty. And that's why he, he warns them even further. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have. It's guaranteed. You can count on tribulation coming for you. Expect it. Be ready. Certainly, those disciples, they certainly faced persecution and tribulation. The apostles uh, were arrested on numerous occasions. They were beaten. All of them but one ended up dying as martyrs. And John, who didn't die as a martyr, uh, was exiled to an island as an old man. All of this was tribulation, pressure from the world against Christians. And really, it's been no different ever since. In every century, the church, as it has been faithful, has experienced tribulation amid a world that is aligned against God and against his people. Since we don't share the world's values, the world is a hostile environment from us. In the world, you will have tribulation. Jesus is saying that just as much to you as he was to the apostles. What Jesus said to his apostles about sorrow also applies to us. We weep over our sins, over our sinful condition, over what sin has done to us, over what sin has done to our world. We grieve over broken friendships, broken families, broken lives. We have sorrow over the state of the church in North America, or our struggling congregations, and the seeming loss of vitality that once seemed to invigorate our church. We're sorrowful at the fact that most people are apathetic towards God or his church, and we weep over this. We weep over the loss of loved ones as we stand at their graves, not seeing them. We mourn as our own health fails and death draws near. What Jesus says is true. You have sorrow now. But, said Jesus, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. The disciples, they experienced exactly what Jesus predicted. The sorrow of his death was necessary because his death was the only way for mankind to be saved. Without his death, there could be no life. The sorrow of his death was necessary, but it was only for a little while. The grief was only there for a little while because Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to them. Their sobbing turned to shouts of joy. Their crying to cheering. Their mourning to rejoicing. The joy Jesus gave his disciples could never be taken away from them. No one would take it. What else carries that kind of a guarantee? 
Thieves can take our possessions away or disease can take our health away. Death could take family members away. But what about joy? Doesn't it seem like joy is something that could be taken away? Unkind words, dishonesty, gossip, slander, cruelty. All those are designed to take away a person's joy. Still, Jesus guarantees that his joy cannot be stolen. Why can't the joy that Jesus gives be taken away? Because the disciples' joy comes from seeing Jesus alive again and knowing that he has conquered death and no amount of torture or persecution can take that away. If their joy, if those disciples, if they place their joy in something else, if they found their joy in, in sex or money or work or hobbies, then their joy could be taken away from them. But they found their joy in Jesus. That first reading says, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Dear friends, Christ gives you a joy that no one can take from you. Your joy can't be taken away because by his dying and rising, Jesus has saved you. That is a joy that runs deeper than any of your circumstances. The world may hate you, even as they hated Jesus. You may have lots of other reasons why to have sorrow. You may be suffering greatly right now, but no one can take away your joy in Christ. It's a real joy, a true joy, an everlasting joy. It's too great and too deep for anyone to take away from you. Why? Because we know that our Redeemer lives. And oh, what sweet joy that sentence gives. He lives. And because he lives, you also will live. I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one can take your joy from you. That's what awaits you and all who trust in Christ. The suffering of this world may be intense. And there's no doubting that. But when compared to the future joy that lies before us, the grief that you experience now is just for a little while. The better time is coming because Jesus himself is coming. He is coming again. And when he comes again, everything will be restored and made much better than it is now. Behold, I am making all things new, our Lord declares. Just think about that third stanza in our hymn. The saints who here in patience their cross and suffering bore shall live and reign forever when sorrow is no more. Around the throne of glory, the lamb they shall behold in triumph cast before him their diadems of gold. You see, like those disciples, we endure a little while of grief and anguish in this life as we await our Lord's return. Christ has ascended into heaven. He's returned to the Father, and we don't see him 
with us here right now. And that, but that doesn't mean he isn't here. That doesn't mean he isn't with us. He is with us. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in our, in our midst. He's present and active through his word, through his baptism, through his supper. He can be heard through the preaching office. The spirit that he sends is busy and active, delivering forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation to you. We simply can't see him for a little while. But you will see Jesus on the day of his appearing, the last day of the old creation, the first day of the new creation. You will see him who you don't not, whom you do not now see with rejoicing and unending joy. Present suffering will give way to future joy. Darkness will give way to light. Sadness will give way to joy. And death will give way to life. Weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning of the resurrection. This is the way of life under the cross of Jesus. Now there is suffering and tears and sorrow. But in the end, there will be comfort and laughter and joy. Present suffering, future joy. And at the end, a great banquet with the best aged wines. You will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.